Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. No standing ovation. I'm one of you. I'm grateful to be here. This is um, the first sermon uh, that I've ever preached in Charlottesville post being a University of Virginia student. So it's a privilege to be back home. Um, even just driving here, it, it felt like I was a third year again, rushing back to class on a Monday morning. Uh, for those of you who know what it feels like to be uh, out of town and trying to hurry up and get back to school. Uh, before I start, I want to thank Pastor Paul, the team, everybody here uh, who's in alignment with the mission of Victory Church. It's not easy to start something new. It's not easy to do th uh, something countercultural. It's not easy to believe for God to make something out of nothing. Uh, what, it, what is easy is to keep things the way that they are, to go to the church that you already were in, to uh, live a life outside of a, a life of faith, uh, but, but to go in and, and not only give your life to Jesus and walk with the mission uh, of this church, but also to put your arms together with the people side by side with you is something that you will not see the entirety of all the blessing that is to come. But in heaven, there are things stored up uh, in, in righteousness and hope for uh, everybody who has participated in Victory Church. And I love the name Victory Church. Here's the reason why I love the name for many reasons, but uh, I was born and raised in Northern Virginia. My father's name is Daryl Green, played on the Washington Redskins. Him and my mom, Jewel, they have uh, done everything that they could to raise us well. And so I'm going to walk you through my story since the theme of this month is your, what's your story. And um, they, they instilled in me what it looked like to live in, uh, with character. And not just have character, but to be consistent with your character, to walk with integrity, to be a bold leader, to always have something to say. That was one thing that was very important for my father. He said, Jerry, make sure you have something to say. And so he would bring me into opportunities, whether it be some sort of large party or gala or something that the Redskins were doing. And he would leave me by myself with other gentlemen and other adults, and he would walk away because he wanted to instill into me that even in my youth, I could have something to say of substance. And so I would always have at least a word in season and out of season. And so because of all of that, uh, yeah, I was raised different. <laughs> um, and so because of all of that, uh, it has made me, uh, I've been, I've been uh, let me try to say this the right way. I've been groomed. I've been groomed to be a man of God a good husband, a good father, a good community leader, a good pastor, a good whatever. Um, and so that doesn't mean that I am that yet, but I've been groomed to be. And so today's sermon is called Grow to Go because, uh, and by the way, this sermon is for everybody in here who's still growing. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay, good. So um, with all that victory, um, I ended up going into the NFL. I, I, I got, I was telling some of the team earlier today that the University of Virginia didn't give me a scholarship offer until my friend Tori Smith, who uh, ended up going to the University of Maryland, um, basically rejected their offer to him. So, so I was the second best option for UVA. And so I was praying and my dad was praying and we were trying to figure out what school it was going to be. I definitely wasn't going to get to UVA off of my grades. And so I needed a football scholarship. And, and who would have known that uh, when Tory would leave and go to the University of Maryland, there'd be a void. But that void came up in the last three weeks of um, the signing day, which is basically the day nationally where everybody decides what school they go to. And so there weren't many people to choose from. There weren't any five stars or four stars left. I was a three-star wide receiver. And so the University of Virginia called me. They brought us up here to the Aberdeen barn. And uh, they wined us and dined us without the wine. And, um, and, and I ended up making a decision to go here and from that place I began my football career and my obviously my studies um, in higher education well then after that I was given the opportunity to go to the NFL once again not drafted an undrafted free agent when I went to the Carolina Panthers in 2012 and that's been my life my career has always been I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying didn't get the opportunity wait here's an opportunity and so I've grown in how I trust God that regardless of what man says uh, there's always an open door that God can only open and there's doors that, uh, that only God can shut no man can shut a door on you or me and so I, I say all that to say leading up to this crowning moment 2014 I I was in my hotel room in San Francisco I was currently on the Oakland Raiders and God was speaking to me, and I was 
praying and I was growing in my faith and I was in the book of Acts chapter 6 and it's a moment where God tells the disciples set apart those who are going to be dedicated to the word and prayer and then everybody else will do some of the common work in the, in the community and at that moment God whispered in my ear it's time to quit football now quitting football in the NFL as a 22 year old a 23 year old uh, man um, is very very scary but most of the fear didn't come from my own personal convictions or my purpose. Most of the fear came from what everybody else would think and the projection of what I'm supposed to do, what I ought to do, who I ought to be. And so what does it look like jumping out of a realm where you've practiced, as Malcolm Gladwell would say, your 10,000 hours and going into something new that you've never been uh, you've, in an area that you've never been before? And I also had this thing because most young men in the, in the room, and if your dad's here, don't raise your hand, but most of us compete with our fathers. And so my father played 20 years. That's a tough thing to compete with in the National Football League when the average uh, lifespan of a, a player in the league is two years. Um, but I always felt like, man, I, I want to win a Super Bowl. Or I want a championship or I want to, you know, score a big touchdown. I want to prove not to my dad, not to anybody else, but to myself that I too can, can, can do something special with my life. But how many of you guys know that, that life is so much bigger than your profession? It's really your purpose and your calling. And so my father, when I was three years old, and I think actually my mother, because my father probably doesn't really care about this stuff. But when I was three years old, um, the, the Redskins won the Super Bowl. That was 1991. And, um, and at that time, my mother received, a, I think you might get two rings. I'm not sure the whole story, but I know this. When I was three, I was given a Super Bowl ring as a necklace. And um, obviously, when you're young, um, you, you don't wear that. You just put that in a safe somewhere. Um, but in 2014, I started wearing this necklace of the Redskins Super Bowl. Take a good look at it. It's the last time you're going to see a Redskins Super Bowl for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> But I wear it around my neck. I never brag about it. I don't wear it outside of my shirt. But I wear it to remind myself that my father already won the victory. Now it's time for me to win another victory. And so Victory Church is a place where you can win your own victory in Jesus. And that's being in alignment with what God has called you to do. And so we've got the victory, everybody. Now, the beautiful thing about the victory here is that our victory is not on earth. Our victory is in heaven. And so he has already won the victory. We didn't do anything to get it. All we did was grew in our faith and we received by grace salvation through Jesus Christ. And so with that, we live from victory, not for victory. Amen. Let me explain. And then we'll get into the scripture. For most of us, we're always chasing and trying to reach a certain level but how many of you guys know who have been to numerous levels that every level requires you to reach and search for a new level? And so this is the rat race of the world that will always leave you with an empty void. But if you have the victory of Jesus on the inside of you, then from victory, you perform. And so regardless of if you win or if you lose, you already had the victory. So your life and your purpose and your validation is not predicated on how well you did, but it's who gave you the opportunity. And so it's not a lot of amen, so maybe you're still trying to figure it out. That's okay. We're going to figure it out in the next 30 minutes, 25 minutes. So the theme is what's your story? Everybody here has a story. Amen. The word of God says that we, are over, that we overcome by the word of our testimony, also by the blood of the lamb. Don't forget that your testimony must have the transformation and the change of direction that comes from only Jesus Christ and him crucified. Once his blood uh, covers you and it transforms you from the inside out, that is the place where you can then tell somebody about what God has done for you. And so I wanna challenge you today, write your story, write your story. And, and in your story, make sure that you see Jesus in it, not that you started walking uh, into a church home or not that you started joining a Bible study, but that he walked on the in, into the inside of your heart. And so if your story uh, is, is set in such a way that you only know that you were in point A and now you're at point B without a midpoint where there was transformation, whether at a, a Bible study, a moment at church where you received salvation or a moment where you were at your house by yourself and the Lord showed up to you, wherever you were, however it happened, you need that mark because that mark actually changes B from A. So we go into the book of Hebrews today, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12, Hebrews 5, verse 12, all the way through Hebrews 6, 
verse 7. So we're going to bounce around in the scripture. I'm not afraid of reading the Bible for a long time. You know, some people, we have this weird thing going on in America. Where it's like, oh, hold on. You only, you, no, just two, just two verses. No, just don't give them that two. No, I like to read the word of God because the word is living and breathing and active. It has the power to transform lives. I don't need to preach today. I can read you from 12 to 7 and, and, and God will do all the work that, that I could have done over a million years and more uh, because of the power that's on the inside of your iPhone or laptop or tablet or book. <laughs> so let's read it. Um, for though by this time you ought to be, underline ought, you ought to be, teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he, is an, he or she is an infant. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. I want you to underline, but solid food is for the mature. Who because of practice, we're talking about practice, <laughs> have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Verse six, uh, chapter six, verse one. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us, and let's underline this, let us press on to maturity. Let us press on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance for dead works from dead works and of faith toward God of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Verse seven, skip to verse seven for ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and underline brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it also tilled. And last underline, receives a blessing from God. Let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge your presence. We thank you, Abba Father, Elohim, Yahweh. We thank you for making your presence known. Not just in this service, but on the inside of us. Something led us here today. Whether we are new in Jesus, whether we are not yet in Jesus, or whether we have had a long relationship with Jesus, something brought us to this place right now, and it's for your great and perfect purpose and will. So, Lord, I pray that today, as I speak, they would not hear Jared Green, they would hear the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would do what Jared Green cannot do, and that is penetrate the hearts of those who are in, in attendance. Lord, I ask, by your grace... And by your power, that when we leave here today, we would have grown a year within the hour of worship. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You know, even when I said that, I just felt like someone was excited. Like, man, I want to grow a year. I'm tired of being the same me. Anybody ever felt that? Okay, we'll get there. So, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who this is. Some people have their speculations of who wrote Hebrews. But we do know this. This person was phenomenal. Reason being, we can see that this was a trying hour. This is where the believers of Christ Jesus, the sons and daughters of righteousness, have been scattered abroad. And this is after Jesus had been crucified, resurrected, and many signs and wonders had happened from the book of Acts. And we've seen the church explode, so much so that the church started to become oppressed because the world hates Jesus. The world hates righteousness. The world hates all wisdom and authority that comes from heaven. And so because of that, these scattered abroad believers need a, a manual, if you will. They needed a playbook. And so the writer of Hebrews is pinning these thoughts and these ideas from heaven, this, this letter of encouragement, of accountability, and of impartation regarding the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And so as the writer of Hebrews is writing, he's not writing just to inform, he's writing to impart. Because if I can write something on the, uh, to you that will then transform uh, in you and push out the gospel through you, then you will continue the work that Jesus had begun. Because if Hebrews didn't go forth, and if the gospel didn't continue to go forth, then everything would have been in vain that we read in Acts. But because of what happened in Acts, because of what Jesus did, because of the word of God that is powerful, we today still commune with Jesus as a congregation and as individuals continuing to, continuing to grow in Jesus. Amen. What if it was over at the time of Acts? 
What if at the last chapter, that was it and there was no hope for you and I? What if we were like those in Iran, those in China who are not allowed to have the scriptures in, in our hands? And so we could only go off of what our pastor tells us. Now, we understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But can you imagine if we didn't have the luxury of going onto your iPhone or to your Android and flipping through the pages freely without persecution? Imagine being in a foreign land and knowing that you are to be either uh, persecuted to the point of death or persecuted to the point of isolation. And only having the hope of this letter right here empowering you to go forth and to continue to preach the word of God. All of this being said, we live in the land of the free. Where we have access regularly to the things of God and to the word of God. And to the people of God. Yet we find ourselves isolated and consumed with the things of this world. What would the readers of Hebrew say to the re- of, of that moment say to the readers of Hebrew today? How could you neglect a moment to get into the word of God? How could you? We were desperate to grow. We needed nutrition. And we were not growing because some of us grew weary because of the persecution and the danger. What's your excuse? That's it for all of my um, fire and brimstone preaching today. (laughs) But I just wanted to set it up so that you could understand the importance of the book of Hebrews and the importance for us to get into the Bible on a consistent basis. As our pastor back home says, read your Bible every day. So I want to talk about four things, this process of growth, who we ought to be. Who should you be right now? Who we are becoming. If you're like me, it's okay. I might not be who I ought to be today, but I'm on my way. Amen? Third point, what we are called to bring forth. Because you, 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 every person in this room is called to bring forth. In other words, is called to bear fruit for Jesus Christ. We are producers in faith, not consumers. And if we are to consume, we're only consuming so that we could produce more for Jesus. And lastly, how blessed we will be. Anybody want to be blessed? Okay, for you five, I'm going to preach a good word for you today. Okay, good. So he starts off by saying in verse 12, for though by this time, by now, you've seen the miracles, you've seen the signs, you've seen the wonders. Some of you have walked with the great disciples. You've, you've experienced the power of God. By now, you ought to be a teacher. Have you ever been in a class? This happened to me the other day, actually. You ever been in a class, or maybe you're getting a certification, or maybe when you were younger and in school, and you had been in that class for three quarters, and the teacher, even though you weren't paying attention, called on you, Jared, so explain this. Uh, It's like the teacher would say, but you ought to be able to explain this. We've been together for three quarters. You've submitted a number of homeworks. You finished a number of tests. You finished a number of group projects. How are you not able to teach? Maybe because what I have learned from you, either I didn't properly receive it or what I've learned, I haven't applied it. We're going to stick with that application part today. So who we ought to be? Learners become teachers. In all things, learning leads one to teach others. You would not go to school unless you had a purpose or a plan, at least in higher education, to take the information that has been distributed to you and to distribute it to others, right? The writer was not speaking about a lack of knowledge, but a lack of experience. As we talk about growing to go, the best way to grow is to practice, My father used to tell me, you know, you don't have a curfew, and this is not a parenting seminar. My dad was um, was off uh, the book, you know. There were there was no manual there, but he told me, "I, I you don't have a curfew, and I'm not putting too many rules and parameters because I don't I wouldn't want you if we were talking football to practice for 20 years and never get to play in a game. And so instead, it's Friday night lights. 
and I'm putting you out on the field. And I want you to practice the statutes of the word of God that I've imparted into you. And I want you to practice all of the things and the mission, the vision, the values of our family that your mother and I have instilled in you and the men and women around us have put on the inside of you so that when the game comes on and someone asks you to do that thing that you know that is not right and is not in alignment with what God has called our family to do or be about, you will then make the play. So I take that thought, which I'm not telling you how to parent. Don't follow us because I'm not responding to that email if you tell me that it didn't work. But, it, but, but God had grace for my family and for me. But I'm telling you that to take that principle and apply it to this scripture. That the writer of Hebrews says, by now you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. He said, you have come to need milk and not solid food. How is it that you are further along in your growth as an adult, yet you need to go back to milk? I remember when I was in UVA, uh, there's a player on the basketball team that will remain nameless, but he was very, very tall. And, um, <laughs> and he was very, very good at basketball. But when you hung out with him, because we lived in Woody together, and uh, that's a dorm down the street. And, and we lived in Woody. And when you got to know him and you talked to him, he was extremely immature. But when you see him, you assume because he's seven feet tall that he is a grown adult. What you didn't realize was he's only 18 years old and he just turned 18. For many of us, we have grown a lot. But just because you've grown as a human, physically, doesn't mean that you are growing spiritually, emotionally, mentally. So the writer says, you have need of milk, though you are the size of an adult that would eat meat. The writer was not speaking once again about knowledge, but experience. You have not put into, the, into practice the things of the word of God and of righteousness so that you can be built and, and, and edified in Jesus and be able to be commissioned and share the story of glory. They needed the ability to reject false teachings, fight the fight of faith against the enemy's attacks, to cover one another in prayer. To have the boldness to be persecuted like Stephen the martyr, to be killed, crucified upside down, do whatever, endure whatever. They needed to have the boldness and the strength to be able to do so. And if they weren't able to practice the performance of or the delivery of the Bible and the word of God and the loving of, of, of their oppressor and their accuser, the offense, then they would not be able to stand boldly and firmly. Maybe some would drift away. And so for us, my challenge is not for us today to be great theologians, even though that would be a blessing, or to be able to handle the pulpit, even though that would be a blessing, or to minister from the front or to lead a small group. Those things are a byproduct of the growth that happens on the inside of you. And so my hope is that today would be a moment where you put the stake in the ground and say, I'm going to grow so that I can go to where God has called me to be. You guys remember Joseph? The story of Joseph? Not your friend Joseph, but the story in the Bible. Joseph had a dream. I told this to the team earlier. He had a dream that was bigger than him. And that dream upset those around him because what did they see? They saw a boy. They weren't able to see the man that that dream was for. So that boy had to go through rigorous situations and persecution and imprisonment and false accusations and all of the things necessary for him to grow to become what God had ultimately given him that dream. For many of us, we are a Joseph, especially if you're like me and you're a millennial. We are the generation of the dreamers. We We'll be late to work more times than we're on time for work, but we still have an expectation that we are going to buy a million-dollar house. <laughs> we will not go to practice in our sport or in our art, but we still have the expectation that we will be chosen and we will be on the TV screen in front of the world. We love purpose. We neglect practice. We are, to, we are called to grow in the purposes of God. 
Our lives are informed by the end, not the beginning. In other words, what I said earlier, we are informed by the victory in Jesus that one day we will all be together in glory, worshiping with the angels, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That informs me in the way that I treat my wife or my neighbor or, my, or my offend, the, the, those who offend me. That is victory. If you are not used to God's word, there's a chance that you won't be able to use God's word correctly. He said, you, for everyone who partakes in verse 13, only of milk is not accustomed to the word of God or righteousness, for he is an infant. What are we accustomed to today? We're accustomed to technology. We're accustomed to our profession. We're accustomed to some of our relationships. We are familiar with many things. But if we are not familiar with God, if we are not familiar with the word of God, it'll be extremely difficult to, be, to become acquainted and familiar with him when you receive bad news. When there's a moment for someone to call you, to encourage you, to press through, to press in, for you to em empower them, to encourage them, to prosper. It's going to be difficult to give what you do not have or have not practiced. So the writer, I can believe that he was writing in tears and with great urgency that we need you to be uh, not just informed, but to be uh, um, uh, familiar with the practices of God. Because if you practice those, then, uh, those things, then those who you disciple or those who are around you that will see what you do will then learn from those best practices. That's what we do in the business world, right? What are the best practices so that I can find a way to get to my solution quicker? I want to live in a uh, live in such a way that those around me, including my family, would be able to see the way Jared practices so that they can take on those practices so that they can perform when it's time to advance the kingdom. Who wants that? Amen. Amen. We'll wake up probably about 1135. I think we've got four more minutes. So just hit the snooze button and right there we're, we're going to be up. Who are we becoming? Now we know that there is opportunity. That's what they say in the business world. Opportunity is another word for a problem. <laughs> if your manager ever tells you you have opportunity, just know this isn't a good conversation. <laughs> but now we know that there is opportunity for growth. And are we grateful that the opportunity is still available? Yeah. It'd be one thing if we were in need of growth, but lacked opportunity and it was over. But it's another thing to be in need of growth, but God opening a door and saying, now come to me. Let's grow together. Verse 14, solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained, trained to discern good and evil. We live in a time now where we get confused about what's right and what's wrong. The world is definitely confused about that. And so because of that, we as believers, if we're not walking in the righteousness of the word of God, or if we have not grown to the, to the point of our lives where we can stand firm and bold without worrying about how we look or how others feel or how we feel, though we have the empathy of Jesus and we love all, but we still stand in the gap and say, this is what God calls righteous. If we're not able to do that, then how will we be trained in order to discern what's right and what's wrong? We should be careful with the things that we invite into our lives, whether through our eyes, our ears, or our mouths. There's some things that we need not to eat or consume. And I'm not going to get into that, but all I'm saying is protect your body for it is a temple that has been given to you by the Almighty God. And so who are we becoming? If you eat well, you will grow well. I remember when I came to the University of Virginia, and I'm just going to keep on telling these stories because I'm home. Um, I was uh, the, probably one of the main reasons why I didn't initially get a full ride scholarship to the, the University of Virginia is because I was a buck 62. I was 162 pounds soaking wet. As a matter of fact, when I came to Virginia, <laughs> this is really funny. You know, they, they make, uh, for those of you who lift weights, you've got the 45 pound plate, right? Then you got the 35 pound plate, you got the 25 and then the 10. Sometimes you get a 15, but then you go to get the 10 and the five. Well, they also make a two and a half pound plate. Anybody know that? Raise your hand if you ever seen it. We call it a chip. It's a two and a half pound plate. 
When I came to the University of Virginia, y'all ready to laugh? <laughs> they gave us these things called girdles. So you wear them under your, your football shorts or your football pants, and they, you're put, supposed to slide your pads in those girdles. Well, they said, Green, I need you to be 170 by the time this summer is over. I took that two and a half, put it on this side and put it on that side, stood on the, sta- on the scale, and I was on my weight. I was 175 pounds. <laughs> Now, here's what happened. The coach goes, that a boy. He hit the, the plate. <laughs> he cussed me out so bad. You probably could hear him cussing from Emmett Street all the way to Barracks Road. Jared, what in the world? I trusted you, you liar. And I was lying. I just flat out lied. <laughs> but I tried to fake my growth. Coach Matt Bayless, that's a true story. I wish it wasn't. But when I, came, when I came to the University of Virginia, they said, you need to grow quickly. We need you to be strong now. We need you to be able to lift the amount of weight that, that's necessary to produce the amount of muscle that can, uh, that can basically withstand a 250 to 300 pound person hitting you while you're running full speed. Because the faster you go, the more, the, the more intense the accident will be. And so we need you to get strong now. And so they will pump me with, uh, with milkshakes and these nasty, chalky milkshakes. And, and you drink them and drink them and drink. And then you go to what we call the training table. That's at JPJ. You go to JPJ and you, you go down the line. It's really nice. For those of you who are students and you can't eat at JPJ, God still loves you. It's okay. But we used to eat at the Virginia uh, Athletes only, uh, and, and, and it was really good food. So they made steak and nice mashed potatoes. You get a baked potato, they load it up for you. It was really good. So I would walk in, man, this food is so good, walking down. And I'd go to my, my, my seat, and I'd start to eat, and a coach would come with another tray and say, hey, you forgot something. And and I'd have to eat two dinners because I was too small. They were trying to manufacture growth. They tried to expedite my growth pattern. And because of that, I wasn't able to hold that weight. And so I spent a lot of time with stomach aches. I also found out when I was a second year that I was lactose intolerant, though I had been drinking milk all my life. What happened? Probably that artificial milk, whatever that was they were giving me, just messed up my whole system. I think I still have some of that pumping in my veins today. (laughs) So you eat well, you grow well. But we live in a time now where people eat manufactured meals called GMOs. And so sometimes we expect coming to church on a Sunday morning to be our genetically modified, whatever the O stands for. What is, what is that? What is it? Organ, or, what? Organism? That's what the O stands for? That sounds even more disgusting. I heard you the first time, but I didn't think that that was what you were saying. Wow, that's gross. So, so we treat church as our GMO or an Elevation Church podcast as our GMO. Hey, how are you doing? Are you growing in God? I've been listening to my podcast. I've been coming to church. I, I prayed before I ate yesterday at dinner time. And so I've got the GMO package and I'm eating and eating and I'm expecting that when the trial comes, I'll be ready for it. But how many of you know that if you're not getting into the word of God, which is the only thing, the bread that man can't live without, the bread that we ingest, that is non-GMO. It's healthy organic grass bed that's the holy spirit feeding the you know he's feeding it while you eat it and so that right there is the start to your growth getting in the word of god getting in the moment where you can pray and intercede and receive the holy spirit and growing jesus that right there is what we're called to do eat well so that we can grow well Verse 14 says, the solid food is for the mature. I want to be mature in God so that I can be able to to consume what he has for me. Joseph was immature in God. So even though he he had a God-sized meal, it took him a long time to get to the place where he'd be ready to consume that so that what he would consume would produce something for all of Israel. 
And so for us, we have a God-sized dream, a God-sized meal for all of us. Everyone individually has a purpose and a plan. God does not create anything uh, uh, off purpose or without purpose. Everything he designs is to align with his will and his plan. And so God makes no accidents. Everything that exists, exists for a reason. And you have a reason. You have a purpose. Now, find that reason. Find that purpose so that you can get in the line of all the saints that are walking towards their destiny. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The more word that you, di- that you ingest, the more word that you take in, the more you will grow in discernment. And God gave us the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really like getting on the health kick. It's not a kick, it's a lifestyle, I understand. Um, and so for some of you who might be, um, who, who might feel offended by um, not being in, on meat, but in milk, if you're a vegan, it's okay. If you, if, I'll read it like this. Um, uh, whereas the, come to need milk and not solid food, maybe come to need milk and the impossible burger <laughs> or need milk and, and, and what do we got? Okra and, and sweet potato, uh, cauliflower steaks, whatever you <laughs> consume on a regular, let that translate that you need the, the, the right amount of, of nutrients from the word of God so that you can live and discern and be trained uh, to do the things of God. Amen. Amen. Have a little fun with that. So growth is not to be confused with movement. Many of us have been on a journey from A to B. And we've been moving from this place to that place, this job to that job, this relationship to that relationship, this this city to that city. But just because you're moving doesn't mean that you're growing. And I know a lot of folks who say, man, I just got to move. If I could just go to L.A., if I could just go to New York, if I can just go to Paris, if I could just go on the mission field, then I will grow. You better grow before you go there. A child will grow into an adult, but there is no guarantee that that child will make adult decisions. It's about our practice. It's about our practice. Verses one through three in chapter six, it says, Leave the elementary, in, in leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance. We've already laid that foundation. If the, 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 the general understanding of your relationship with Jesus is just what he did on the cross. That's why I don't wear cross necklaces because it's so much bigger than that. I used to rock a cross. I'd even dip it in some gold. And I'm not hating on you if you do that. But I'm just, I want to train my brain to say we're past that. That's, I'm, I'm not leaving salvation. That's where I live from. But I'm not going to only think about the salvation in, in, a, stand, in, a, in a sense of what he's done. I'm going to now live according to not only what he's done, but who I am becoming in him. Because what he did gave me access by faith to walk into new places as a new grown adult in Jesus Christ. And so I love what he did on the cross. If it wasn't for the cross, I wouldn't be where I am today. We would have no hope at all. Don't get me. Uh, don't 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 think that I'm saying that the cross is to be limited in any stretch of the word, in any sense of the word. But the cross is the starting place. From the empty tomb began, began the 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 the, the series of growth, the pattern of growth for all of eternity, that that for us, that is our inheritance. Because if that wasn't, then when you get born again, you should then die. It should be like altar calls, immediate transition to Jesus. (laughs) Pastor Paul says, if you want to give your life to Jesus, and then at that moment, salvation hits you from the cross, and immediately you're in front of the presence of the Lord. Why does he allow us to keep on living? Because there's a story to tell. And there's power in that story. And if I keep on living, I'm going to keep on growing because I'm continuing to consume his word. And I'm going to continue to express my faith through my practice, being trained to understand and discern the things of God and the things that are not of God so that I can lead others to Jesus. If you claim to be a disciple of God, a disciple of Jesus, then you ought to make disciples. Because you, if, if we were best friends, or if I was your father, if I was your grandfather, if I was someone who had deep connection to you, and I was on my dying bed, and my final words were, please, please, go make disciples. You would do everything that you could to honor me who you loved. Jesus, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, then you cannot 
fully be a disciple of Jesus without at least having the mission and the practice of trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Because disciples make disciples. Discipleship was not for our own good. Discipleship is a circle. It's an opportunity for us to experience the love of God and to bring people with us into that experience. And as we have been discipled, just as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, someone should be following Jared as Jared follows the words of Paul, which Paul followed Christ. And someone should be following the person that follows Jared, that's Jared follows Paul, who, Paul, who followed Jesus, and as Jared followed Jesus. And so we should be in a cycle of discipleship. And discipleship is not about salvation. Let me explain that. Was Peter saved when Jesus said, come follow me? Did Peter know that Jesus was the son of the living God? Remember that moment when Peter's sitting there with Jesus and Jesus says, who am I? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Was that the same revelation that Peter had when he was on the boat when he met Jesus? But over some time, Jesus discipled him into that revelation. So do not allow the enemy, because it's a trick of the enemy that has been distributed to the church, that you can't disciple someone who's not already walking with Jesus. No, you are to disciple those who are not walking with Jesus so that they can see your practice, they can see what you're consuming, and they can grow alongside of you, and you can usher them into a relationship with Jesus. That's a version of evangelism that's not preached. Many of us hear the word evangelism and you think that I'm supposed to be on some sort of box in the middle of grounds by the bus stop and say, you're going to hell. That's what some people think evangelism is. Or maybe you think that it's Billy Graham and having some sort of crusade where a bunch of people come to Jesus after a long sermon. What if I told you that evangelism was relational? What if I told you that you all are so, could have the potential to do the greatest work that, the, that America has ever seen as an evangel, evangelist? By serving one another, by leading those who walk with you into a relationship with Jesus. What if I told you that? That's what we're called to do. So practice. We need to practice the things of God. We need to practice loving God and memorizing his word and edifying him. I remember when I got injured in high school. I was young and I had an injury, but I continued to grow. So though I was growing as a man, I still had an impediment. I still had an injury on the inside of my shoulder. When we played the University of Miami here at Virginia, my shoulder came out of place inside of my shoulder pads. And they said, it, this is crazy. It looks like you have been injured before. How did they know? Because I hadn't healed properly, even though I had grown to be a larger man. And so I want to say this to you. If you have been broken, if you have been hurt, we all have. I want you to make sure that in your process of growing, you are getting healed as well. Allow God to minister to the things in your life, to the, to the places that you've been, to the things that others have done to you so that you can grow the right way and press into God's purposes. Let us press on to maturity. And I'll close with this in verse 7. What are we called to bring forth? It says this in verse 7. Vegetation useful to those whose sake it is also tilled. He's talking about rain. When rain goes into the ground, there's something that happens with that moisture into a seed and into that soil. And we know that the seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more that it's watered, the more that this growth and maturation process happens, something is brought forth, and that is fruit. We are called to bear fruit for Jesus Christ. And you give what you have received. So I want to challenge us as a church, and I say us in por uh, 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 on purpose because I am one of you, and this church holds a near and dear place in my heart because I had no idea what I was doing when I was living in Copley and my second year trying to figure out who Jesus was. But I got saved at McHugh Center, right down the street from here, a man named John Copper looked me in the eyes and said, you, you claim that you're a Christian, I just don't see it. I don't see it. And I don't want you guys to go out doing what John Copper did, but we had the relational equity for him to call me out. And when you're in football, people call you out all the time. It's regular. And so at that moment, I said, well, what should I do? And it was the same moment that I had when I, uh, with the Church of Acts, the same moment that the Church of Acts 2 had. They heard the gospel in a different way that they had believed it to be. And so at that moment, they were pierced at the heart. The Holy Spirit pierced my heart in Charlottesville. And I said, what shall I do, John? And he said, repent. 
He took me through the Beatitudes for the next six weeks. We were playing football, y'all. We had games every week, but in, in the middle of the hotels, he would, uh, in the middle of our, of our team meetings, in between team meetings, he would come to my hotel, and instead of reading the playbook, we were reading the Bible. And I said, man, I need so much of this because I'm lost. And he, he radically led me into a growth pattern in salvation and discipleship that transformed my life so much so that when I got back to Copley, I told my, my roommate, Aaron Talaferro, I said, you need to know Jesus, man. I'm going to live right. I'm going to live real. Then I called Keith Payne. I called Mike Scott. I called Monica Wright. I called some other folks. And I said, hey, everybody, I'm starting a Bible study. Thursday night, I got some extra food from O'Hill. I started using my money, and, and, and we started having these moments at Copley. And then 10 people got saved. And I said, listen, you don't have to do anything other than invite one person. This month, let's focus on one person. We doubled in one week. Then we tripled. We got from f the five in Copley to the 52 in Arches. I went to Arches. Mr. Archer said, hey, what are you doing in here? I was reading my Bible. I had my notes out. I was preparing for, for Bible study at Copley. And we were so packed in Copley that we had to leave the door open. There were people in the hallway. And he said, hey, what do you do? I said, I'm doing a Bible study. I do it for some of the students here at UVA. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a second year. He said, man, how about you use uh, arches? I said, really? He said, yeah, I'll let, I'll, I'll, hold the, I'll let you hold the whole Bible study there, and I'll give you all free frozen yogurt. I said, done. So then I started telling people, hey, tell people that there's two things they can get every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. They're going to get Jesus and they're going to get some frozen yogurt, some froyo. And people started to come. And we had church services. They weren't church services, but to me they were. I mean, church, wherever two or more are gathered, right? And so we had 52 people on the top floor of Arches. He gave me a key to the building. Why do I say all this? Because when you grow in God, you align to his will. And when you're aligned to his will, it says this, that the blessed, blessings will come forth. You will bring forth something, a fruit that, that's so tasty that the world is desiring it and they're longing for it, even though they don't know that it's available. And then you will find the pleasure of pleasing your father. I had no idea what I was doing. I was not a nonprofit. I was not a, um, a, a organized ministry. I was not affiliated with any church. I was still driving back to Grace Covenant Church because I was a homebody. And so I was still doing this every single week, and God was breathing and breathing and breathing. And we saw a coach from the uh, women's team get saved, and we saw a professor get saved, and people from the community started coming to, the church, uh, to, to our Bible study. And God moved. My dad was mad at me because he gave me money. He gave me cash money to survive for, for the four years, and I blew it all by my third year. And, and 85 to 90% of it was on uh, sending students to missions, and we did something called the Spring Breakthrough where we brought students in in the springtime, and, and we had a worship service. We had 150 uh, students. Black Voices came and led the ministry. I could tell you stories all day long. But now you can see how passionate I am about being in alignment with the will of God, growing in Jesus, seeking him with all your might. I was a dummy in the faith. I was one year old in Jesus. I was just, I was on milk, but at least I knew the aroma of meat. I knew what it was supposed to smell like. And from that moment, something was birthed and we didn't get the opportunity to start a church, but we did. Let's stand to our feet. Stand to our feet. Praise God. Praise God. Who would have known that a young kid from Northern Virginia who barely got into the University of Virginia would be a part of something bigger than him? Who would have known that a person in these blue seats today who's trying to figure out this Jesus thing would end up seeing transformation in their bloodline with their children and their children and their children's children and their children's 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 children seeking Jesus for the rest of eternity. Who would have thought that someone who came from a broken home or a broken marriage or they were a child of a broken marriage or a broken home would be able to see that resurrected, transformed, redeemed by Jesus and able to live the right way and to bring up children in the way that God would see forth. Who would have thought that a church that's meeting in an elementary school that's so far away from civilization in the way that it should be off to the side would be a beacon of light for God to shine and heaven to, to hover over Charlottesville? 
Who would have thought that that person that was late today or the person who was thinking, eh, I don't know if I want to come to church, would be able to, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and hear something from me. And I don't really know. I don't know it all, but I just know I love Jesus. And maybe you heard something that you take for the rest of your life and, and, and minister into your business, into your company, into where you work, your, your family, your community. Who would have thought God has given us all a God-sized dream and a God-sized meal to eat? Make sure that we grow so that we can consume it and that what we consume will be able to produce. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, we thank you for the power of the resurrection. Jesus, it's because of what you did. You conquered the grave. You broke the mold of death. So by faith, we have access to eternity, but more so than eternity, it's eternity with God, the father of all things. We thank you for that opportunity. Lord, because of that, many of us have come to know you, but I don't want to leave this moment without giving an opportunity for someone else. So I want you to raise your hand. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, raising your hand today doesn't make life all good. Matter of fact, raising your hand is, is choosing to get into the greatest fight of your life. But I promise you that you will not fight that fight alone. So I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Put your hand high in the sky if you want to make that decision. I see your hand. Praise God. I see your hand as well. Bless you. Bless you. Repeat after me, Father God. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for opening the door for me. Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Transform me with your power. And call me your son. Call me your daughter. I love you. Amen. I want to do this last thing before I walk out. I want to pray over you, the church. And I know I'm over. I don't even know what time it is. My watch went off like 10 minutes ago. It said, stop, stop. <laughs> but I'm home, baby. It's like homecoming. You know, <laughs> you know when you ever bring those coaches back and they've been gone for a while? <laughs> they give them the mic. They just talk all night. <laughs> I feel like that. Now I have more empathy for them. I want to pray over you all. That whatever I dabbled in and fell into when I was here uh, by the, uh, between the years of 2007 and 2011, whatever that was that I experienced, I want to give that to you all. Amen? Amen. And I, when I say I'm, not, I'm giving it to you, I'm, it's not like I'm Dragon Ball Zing you. What I'm saying is I, I, I'm praying by faith that whatever that free gift God gave to me, freely I received it and freely I'll give it to you. And so it's not me that gives you the gift, but it's Jesus. Amen? Father God, I thank you for all the faith in this room. I thank you that your spirit went forth before we even came here today. I thank you that you dwell in the, in the house of the righteousness. And Lord, I thank you that it's a privilege and an honor that we could even come in here and commune with you. Lord, every single thing that you did in my life and through my life in the four years that I attended the University of Virginia, Lord, that did not turn void. But there was a power that you, did, that you, that you performed and that you produced. And there was something embedded into the soil of Charlottesville. So Lord, I pray that by the power of Jesus Christ, what you imparted in me will also be imparted in those here who love you. So Lord, I pray right now that every person with their hands raised willing to receive, that they would receive it a hundredfold, more than what I had. They'd have more uh, um, uh, discernment than I had. They'd have more direction and clarity than I had. They'd have more faith than I had. They'd have more connections and opportunities, more open doors than I had. Even though I was able to see a lot of great things happen, that is nothing for what's to come for the Church of Victory and the people in the body of Christ that are sitting in this room. Lord, may the gift of faith be distributed to every person in this room and may the gift of power, the power to heal, the power to do things that have never been done in Charlottesville, may that be demonstrated and moved and manifested in the heart and the mind and the soul of every person here. And everybody say amen. I love y'all. Can't wait to come back.